and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library, the podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, my name is Rainey. I am an environmental scientist and nature nerd, and also a huge fantasy and tabletop role-playing game nerd. And my pronouns are he, him. Hi, this is Christian. I'm a financial advisor, but like Rainy, more fun than that. I am a huge uh, fantasy and sci-fi nerd and horror. Uh, I also one of the DMs of the new talking today, and my pronouns are he, him. Hi, everybody. I'm Amber. I'm the head of information services at the Westward Public Library. My pronouns are she, her. And uh, one of the great things I get to do at my job is organize all kinds of tabletop role-playing events and collect and develop a a marvelous collection of tabletop RPGs, and as to general, be a huge science fiction, fantasy, horror, speculative fiction nerd. So welcome, all of you, to the show. If you listeners couldn't already tell, later in the show, we're going to talk about D&D and role-playing games. But first, we're going to kick the show off, as we usually do, with what have you all been reading? I'm slowly crawling my way through the end slog of the Wheel of Time. Um, which is a very long fantasy uh, series by Robert Jordan. I'm on book 10 right now. Uh, I was told 8, 9, and 10 are the slow ones, so I've been <laughs> slogging through and supplementing that with reading uh, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn trilogy. Uh, I just finished uh, The Well of Ascension. And um, I finally bought Dune, because as a science fiction and fantasy nerd that's never read Dune, I always feel like I'm letting people down, so that's on my to-be-read list soon. If it makes you feel better, I've never read Dune either. Oh, you gotta read Dune. <laughs> Two things I'm working through. Uh, one is that it's a, I'm kind of a history nerd too. It's it's a book called Flint and Tomahawk, and it's about New England and, and King Philip's War. Uh, pretty interesting, written in the 50s. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is, despite being written in the 50s, it's actually very fair to both sides politically. Uh, so I'm kind of enjoying that. Uh, I'm also reading my way through this um, this book that's so great, and I can't remember the title of it. But basically, it's a breakdown of philosophy. Uh, you know, so the different philosophers I've got through Aristotle, I'm on Immanuel Kant, right? Uh, I'm going very, very slowly, as it's hard. Uh, I will say that I just bought Rainy. Uh, they're actually doing a graphic novel version of Dune. Uh, Frank Herbert's son is working on it. Volume 1 just came out. I just got that. I have read Dune. Uh, it's a book. I've never been able to get through the other ones, but I'm going to try that. So, yeah. Cool. All right. And I just started... Um... I started reading Tamsin Muir's Locked Tomb Trilogy, the first book of which is Gideon the Ninth. Um, and I am about halfway through Harrow the Ninth right now. And I'm going to talk about these books a little bit because I have never read anything like them in my entire life. And I mean that as like the highest compliment. Uh, these books are these books are crazy. At first I was reading them and like some of the words are, um, she makes really intense word choices and her descriptions are um, they are long and detailed and very unique. And at first I was like, I don't know if she needs to be edited more, but then I realized she's just a literary genius <laughs> and her genius has surpassed that of my own. Um, they're amazing. These books are insane. I have no idea what's going on for most of them. And then things click and you're like, wow, I did not see any of this coming. And they're just action packed and they're full of diverse characters and they are, they are dark and gritty and hilarious at the same time. They're just, they're amazing books. I cannot recommend them enough. And uh, basically, they're like science fiction, horror, necromancy, like pop culture fun books. But um, and they will like devastate you. Like I, my soul was torn out at the end of the Gideon the Ninth, and then I started Harrow. Only got worse. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm bleeding inside. Why am I doing this to myself? And then like, 
I found out the next book, final book in the trilogy, is going to be released. Like, it got pushed back, so it's not even coming out in 2021. I guess this will give me more time to reread these books over and over because each new installation, each new chapter, like, changes how you think about everything you've already read, um, which is part of, like, the brilliance and the complexity of these books. But uh, because we're going to be talking about RPGs later, like, the aesthetic very like warhammer 40k if you do like rogue trader dark heresy it's like skulls gothic swords awesome skeletons everywhere <laughs> and like aviator i cannot recommend this book enough. One, one of those things does not fit with the others just saying i don't know where aviators came out of nowhere there. paint and red aviator glasses like it's just it's so That's good great. i'm gonna be i'm gonna be cosplaying from gideon the ninth at gen con whenever we can have that again so uh read these books because i need more humans to talk about them with I need to work through my trauma and my emotions and my awe. <laughs> I, I have a list on my phone of like books that I need to pick up whenever I'm there. And Gideon the Ninth has been like number four on that list for like months. And every time I'm somewhere, I end up getting a different book from that list. And it's just fallen down and fallen down. But yeah, I've heard it's pretty crazy stuff. Stop doing it, that, Randy. It, it, it is literally the next now. book on my list based upon Amber would be talking about. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you two, you guys are the horror ones too. You like you guys like the horror stuff, so that's definitely what I've been told about it. Is there's definitely some some vibe there, but it's like it's like tragic too. It's like this intense critique of like duty and loyalty and like bonds, and it's just like oh my god, it, it hurts <laughs> and it's funny, gross. It's like it's so it sounds like if people want something really dense and complex to get their teeth into, and Wheel of Time was not <laughs> enough. Um, that that sounds like another great series for people. Yeah, if you are a glutton for punishment, enjoy the fourteen book, thousand plus page uh, each Wheel of Time. Enjoy. I tapped that after book three on that. I just I looked and I saw how far further I had to go. Honestly, if I could give anybody advice, because I've told a few people and they're like, I don't know if I could commit to that. Honestly, like just pick up a notebook and like keep notes when you read these books because. It's crazy how many characters are from different countries and they all have these different customs. And like by the time you hit book nine and you haven't seen a character in three books and then they're back and you're like, what was their deal again? You know, and it, it can be slow you down a little bit. But but honestly, the work that was put into it, if you're a world building nerd like me, the Wheel of Time is insane. Oh, I totally, I totally agree just based on what I read on the first three. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like tabletop. You have to keep notes because you might not see that character again for in what game time was only like a couple months, but in real time might have been like a year. Yeah. Like, oh, I forgot the name of the bartender. His name is Chad now. <laughs> and, the, and, then be the, and then be the DM who has to come up with the voice and you're like, what did they sound like again? You just go, Duh, mildly British. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's where all accents end up anyway. Right. Before we get into our tabletop fun let's talk about what we've been watching it can be tv movies stuff on the internet basically anything you look at with your eyes is fair game in this section uh let's see i've been watching the mandalorian trying to keep up with that uh as far as star wars goes you know everybody thinks again i was talking about running starfinder and uh and people think it's going to be like star wars or anything like this like the mandalorian is probably the closest to just like a D group it's, I mean, it's a space western. It's a, it's just a delivery quest, right? Like, that's all it really is. Finishing the last season of Supernatural. Oh, and, suck it out. Oh. Yeah, I did all 15 seasons. Like I said, I'm a glutton for punishment. Give me something way too long. I'm going to get into it. Commit. Um, and then I don't actually watch a lot of TV. Um, 
I listen to a lot of podcasts though, because like again, tons of good tabletop role playing podcasts and YouTube like live streams. Uh, if if it counts for watching, Twitch has a ton of great live streams. Um, and if uh, I've been watching Dimension Twenty is uh, College Humors D and D Five E campaigns. They are everything you would not expect D and D Five E campaign to be. They do one that's based in New York City. They do one that's like Candyland, Game of Thrones. Their DM is a genius. And then, yeah, uh, the Glass Cannon is a good Pathfinder and Starfinder live stream group. Uh, they're very entertaining as well. I watched the first episode of the High School Dimension 20 campaign um, because everyone had been talking about Dimension 20 and how good it was. Uh, but I'm just, I'm so... I got behind on Critical Role, so then had to spend time <laughs> yep. catching up, and yep. so fell off of watching other streams. See, what I love about uh, Dimension 20 is pretty good about their YouTube thing, because they're like hour to two hour max episodes. Mm -hmm. I like I love what Critical Role did for D&D, &D, but I can't watch four hour episodes every week. I can't do it. I can't keep up. The advice I tell people is that frequently I will watch to the break and then watch from the break to the end of a Critical Role episode, like in two nights. That's so yeah, it takes me longer, but because that's the thing I hear from everyone who's not into it, but who I think would have some type of interest with it, either being fantasy fans or D&D &D fans, is they're just like, but the episodes are so long. How do you have that much time to do? And I'm just like, my only advice is to take it in pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I fall. I've fallen behind. I'm only on episode seventy uh, of the second campaign. Well, I'm way behind right now, but I'll catch up. Can't be much further behind than me. I've barely watched any of it, so there you go. Because because four hours, like I have kids in four hours, I am not. I can commit to playing it. I'm not going to watch them. Uh, yeah, you know, like, that's, that's the time. time you know, <laughs> spending that time exactly. on that. Uh, I'm more of a, a movie guy. Uh, I watch watch a lot of horror movies on Netflix. So recently, let's see, I watched uh, Netflix's Dracula, the three part one. Uh, the first two episodes are so good. I also watched, let's see, uh, Resolution and the Endless, two really good movies. Uh, Endless, Endless is, okay. is on Netflix. Resolution, I think, is a, uh, by the same guys. You don't have to watch them necessarily. Resolution was the first one. Endless was the second one. doesn't matter if you watch them in order. You can watch them in either order. They fit together very nicely. Uh, very cool movies. Uh, also, Black Mountainside, which is on Doobie, I think, for free, uh, which is just a really great, low-budget horror movie, which is basically a Call of Cthulhu game, since now we're talking about RPGs very shortly. Uh, yeah, absolutely a Call I also like to say Stranger Things. Uh, they might play D&D &D, uh, on Stranger Things, but they're living. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point that, like, nobody's really actually, like, just admit it, you know? Like, it's... They're not playing D&D, &D, not quite. <laughs> yeah. We have Eldritch Horrors blasting through universes. We absolutely right? do. When it's something yeah. scratching through to, from another world, it's not D&D. Yep. <laughs> It's uh, funny, I haven't watched Stranger Things. The only thing I know about Stranger Things is that they play D&D &D in it because I was uh, about D&D &D to someone and they were like, is that the game that the kids play on Stranger Things? And I'm like, <laughs> I think so. And then she proceeds to like, she's like, yeah, they roll dice and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that's got to be it. Yep. Things actually, uh, Stranger Things also did a lot for the, the new D&D &D generation getting people in. People who had never yep. been interested before love Stranger Things. They were like, what is this thing that these characters I love love? And uh, it, pu it pulled them in. So that's a good thing that Stranger Things did for the RPG community. Um, Ready Player One, that book, um, Ready Player Two just came out. That also did a yeah. lot for pulling in new people. Yeah. 
the 80s nostalgia. People like D&D, &D, 80s, and it's like D&D's come a long way from the 80s, but if that gets you to the table. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the other thing, to, to Rainey's point about the podcasts, and, you know, and Critical Role and what it's done for D&D, I think even more importantly, like, prior to that sort of stuff, role-playing games and tabletop games have always been really, really good to explain people. It's a super easy thing to show people. Right, but get the person to the table. So if you could just say, "Hey, just go watch this podcast thing for a couple minutes," you can find out if you're into it. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. That's tremendous. Yeah, and and you know, it takes things like Critical Role for people to watch and be like, "Wow, listen to these people doing their incredible accents," and like, yeah. "Wow, look at how high pr like the production value is insane." Um, and that can get them in. And then like you know, certain people will be, like, "Yeah, that's cool and all," but like when I sit around a table with my friends, it's just a bunch of like you know dumb jokes and you know we don't do accents at all yeah. and yeah. then you can fall into those like more you know entertaining podcasts where like people don't take themselves so seriously and like mm -hmm. that's you know I, I tend to show people those because i'm like this way you don't get like ridiculous expectations yeah, yeah. yeah. Agree. yeah. Agree. there are different kinds of D, D groups for sure and they're as long as you're having fun they're all great like <laughs> all, yeah there's no wrong way to have fun <laughs> yeah no i've definitely heard people like that complaint being for streams like Critical Role that have such like high production value and have actors. I think that's something that people have to remember that they're all professional voice actors. So they're all, that's why they're all amazing at ad-libbing and like doing improv, which is the thing that I marvel at whenever I watch it. It's like, how do you come up with responses that are so in character so quickly? Because yep. when I sit at the table, I'm just like, um... Uh, <laughs> That's also like their full-time job. So like they have more time than your DM will ever yeah. have in their entire life to prep for sessions and no yeah. material. So there's that too. Be yeah. hard DMs. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, my favorite part about Critical Role and like my biggest jealousy about it is just like Matt Mercer came up with this homebrew world and he was like, Yeah, I'm gonna like pull things from Pathfinder and D&D 5e. And then like it got so big that like now he's just like, I get to put out books for the masses of my homebrew world. Like as a world building nerd. I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I have, I have hundreds of pages of Google Docs about like, and then I'm like, but my friends know like one page of it, you know. So uh, yeah, what I've been watching is there are a couple of things I want to I want to talk about in particular because they're particularly good. Uh, first is American Horror Story. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. I watch all the seasons. Some are better than others, but I just finally got around to watching 1984. Um, I just reached the halfway point in that, which I have no idea what they're going to do because it seemed like the entire season was wrapped up by the end of episode five. And I guess the second half of it is going to be the twist. I don't know where we're going with that. But um, uh, I like it better than Roanoke, um, but not as much as like Hotel. <laughs> uh, so it's it's good. It's good. Um, if you like exploring horror tropes and deconstructing them, some seasons do a better job of deconstructing the tropes than others. But um, the ones that like nail it, like nail it you see all different subgenres of horror they interrogate the different types of characters and character tropes that you see in horror and how they can be problematic and how they can pull them apart and it's just really fun to watch like as a fan of horror in general the other thing i want to mention is westworld is brilliant it's hbo so there is a pay barrier but west but like the westworld hbo series is so ridiculously good it's just um uh it's doing amazing things for science fiction and uh it interrogates like gender and consciousness and humanity in really uh, interesting ways and it has a huge twist and almost um, it's not really it's like a subgenre shift almost between the first two seasons and then the next one and uh, but it nailed it like there it's amazing all the way through so far um, really excited to see where that goes and I hope it doesn't fall apart because it's been so strong every season so far so 
definitely watch that if you're even if you're not in science fiction like watch it the characters are so good the actors are amazing i think one of those actors like slays it at every point like it's so good yeah saying uh saying westworld and going like if you don't like science fiction like you know you could still enjoy it because like for the first season it's like barely scratched the surface of the science fiction aspect of the show you're just watching like a, this is a weird western you know what i mean like what is, yeah. you know, what's this about you know um so it's cool it's that's a great show good recommendation yeah. is it finished or is there more it looks like there's gonna be more i'm pretty sure yeah, okay because that's one of those that i've been meaning to get on but when it first came out they were still making game of thrones and it was like i didn't have <laughs> i didn't have the time or energy to devote to both so i stuck with finishing out game of thrones which might have been a mistake but since uh, uh, why <laughs> Exactly. And to, t- to tie it in, though, uh, one of the writers of Game of Thrones is in a long-term D&D campaign with Joe Manganiello. Mm-hmm. And you'd think, you'd think being in a D&D campaign, a fantasy epic thing like that, he'd have been able to take Game of Thrones and go, you know what would have been a cooler ending? Character arc resolutions. You know? Like... <laughs> But instead, we got the D&D game that just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then we got the one where, like, a couple people just were like, I can't make it anymore. And it was like, oh, what, 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 what would her character do? And it was like, okay, fine. And the DM was just like, uh, her character just uh, burns the city down. <laughs> they die. They just die. Yeah. I don't know. A white horse picks her up, and uh, we don't see her again till the end. What's the significance of the white horse? The Tonquest is it? Does it have significance? Is it the only horse we had? That's why you never let DMs control PCs. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. The library is launching a new collection, School Tools. Check out tools, toys, games, and interesting objects for learning and play from Central Library, including a microscope, toy cast register, robots, and more. The tools are meant to support parents who are teaching at home and encourage kids to pursue their passions. If you have suggestions or feedback for this new collection, email emily at emilybrown at cranstonlibrary.org. online archive featuring keyword searchable local historical newspapers including the Cranston Herald is now available online to Cranston Public Library cardholders. The archive includes documents from 1885 to 1977. Additional newspaper archives from 1977 to 2016 are available separately from inside the library only. This archive is brought to you by Advantage Preservation and funded by the Champlin Foundation. Visit cranstonlibrary.org slash databases to find out more. So without further ado, because it seems like we're all very excited to talk about D&D. I think it's been a long time coming because I've kind of hinted at my love of it throughout different recommendations. But I guess to start off, um, well, for anyone who doesn't know what D&D is at all, I think has been very confused by the conversation that we've had thus far. Um, but it's, um, but I guess we can start there about what D&D is and what it's about and maybe how you guys got into playing. Wow, what a hard thing to just define role-playing games. But the best way to describe it is a cooperative storytelling game where you take the point of view of one character in a story and you do your best to overcome 
obstacles and achieve personal goals in a group dynamic. Really nerdy definition of it. Basically, get around a table and roll dice with your friends and do dumb things as barbarian characters and magic wielders, you know, um, which sounds very nerdy. But uh, I got into D&D actually from Amber's younger brother uh, introduced me to D&D, I don't know how many years ago now. Uh, he came over one day and was just like, you're playing a gnome druid. And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. He's like, you get a wolf. I was like, I'm in. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, D&D is, it's a crazy game. And honestly, ever since I've played it through three editions and obviously tons of other games now at this point for me, um, I think that role-playing games are one of the better things you can do with your friends. It gets you together. Uh, before quarantine, it would get you and your friends in the same room, which is not something that actually a lot of, like, I don't know, I, I was in bands for years and all this stuff, but I've never hung out in person with a group of friends more than D weekly D&D nights, you know? Keeps you close. You go through things together that are funny stories later. Um, and, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a great way to, to it, it's also a great way to explore a lot of uh, topics that, like, maybe you don't ever get to bring up with your friends, but in the guise of a fantastical world you can uh you know talk about certain topics or you know go through certain things that make really cool uh really cool moments that is really hard act to follow yeah so i was very close to my pitch when i'm when i'm asking uh state entities to give me money for dungeons and dragons things at the library i tell them that uh dnd is basically it's a collaborative storytelling game where character where players assume the roles of characters and the DM or GM, if you're playing a non-Dungeons & Dragons RPG, creates the world, the setting, gives them story hooks, and then they just play through it as someone who is who can be as like or unlike themselves in reality as they want. Um, yeah, I think that's a tremendous definition. I think that, you know, one of the points was the best, the best point, uh, although we made a lot of very good points, uh, is that get your friends together, right? Uh, and, you know, we don't have as much of that. If you look at the internet we have in the news, we got podcasts, we got a lot of stuff that you just kind of consume on your own, right? And especially this year, we're all kind of locked away on our own. Uh, and you miss that, that human connection. You get them to hang out with your friends and you're making up stupid stories. And it doesn't matter the role-playing game you're playing because there's a flavor of ice cream for you regardless of what you want. And we talk about D&D &D and that's fantasy and I love that. I also happen to love Call of Cthulhu very much as these people know how to talk endlessly about that, which is a horror game. And that's based on HP Lovecraft. So it's kind of experiencing a Lovecraft in the story. There's a superhero game I'm running right now, right? And we're, we're having a lot of fun with that sort of stuff. Uh, so, Rainy Monster. Rainy Monster. We'll talk. Uh, so there's, so you know, it's a matter of getting together, telling those sorts of stories, whatever they be, by your friend with your friends, whatever they like, come up with whatever you're playing. Even the most horrible call because we've had some hysterical moments, uh, and, and get these kind of shared in jokes that you wouldn't get do anything else, right? And I think that's probably the most important thing. Uh, for me, when I started, uh, I'm old, so it was in the 90s that I started playing in the early 90s. And I remember I'm also a comic book nerd. And TSR used to have awesome ads on all the comic books. And there was just one with was a red box, basic D&D set with a dragon, the guy fighting the dragon. And I was like, what is this? And then I convinced my to buy it for her, uh, even though she thought I was probably going to somehow sell my soul to Satan. Uh, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't. And here I am. I'm happy to long good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like one of the things uh, Christian mentioned about uh, how most of the things that we do today are consumptive. It's media you consume. You're watching something. You're listening to something. 
that's one of the things I really love about tabletop RPGs. It's not a, just a consumptive practice. You're consuming the source material, but you're creating too. You're creating original things. It's engaging your creativity, your knowledge of genre, of storytelling. It's engaging all of your social skills, um, your interpersonal skills. It's challenging your empathy, your ability to assume and understand um, the identities and experiences of people that are very unlike you. Um, and it's engaging your mathematical skills. Don't let that take away. The math can be as, as complicated or as simple as you need it to. Uh, most of D&D just calls for, you know, basic addition, multiplication and whatnot. But I have used the Pythagorean theorem to see if I can shoot somebody on a roof or not. Um, <laughs> that can be hand waved by less demanding DMs. Um, no, no, no. You have to figure out how much extra distance that height is you have to draw that triangle are they close enough to the edge for you to shoot their center mass now draw the triangle <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it's just it's engaging so many skills um and it's that's what i pitch when i'm talking about doing dandy programs for kids i'm like it's good for the kids it's going to help them develop it's going to teach them all of these really practical skills um the just the things that you'll learn from like if you're if you want to make a strong character a good character which is one of the first things that people who get engaged want to do, um, they have to read a bunch of source material. They have to learn about different settings. It increases their vocabulary. They got to do the maths. Um, a lot of it involves strategy. Um, different encounters can be much more deadly if you don't approach them from a smart way. Uh, and it's just, it's got so much in it and it's so good for people and it makes you create as much as you consume, which is fantastic. And Amber, how did you get into playing tabletop? Oh, I got into playing tabletop RPGs in middle school. I think I was in like seventh grade, maybe. My friend Kyle uh, bought the player's handbook and was just like, we're going to play this game. And I was hooked like ever since. And I got my brother into it, who then got Rainy into it. So it just spreads. Like if you can, if you can like hook one person, they'll find someone else. They'll bully someone else into trying and then <laughs> at all. They'll just be addicted. Although you don't actually, sell, you don't sell your soul to Satan in Dungeons and Dragons, but you sometimes do sell significant capital to like the coast. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But they're good investments. I don't want to know how much capital rain has sunk into this. They're good investments. I actually have a funny story about that. So when Stranger Things first came out, right? And, and they have that first scene where they're playing D&D &D and, they're, and they're playing with the blue, it's the expert set, right? It's the blue set. Uh, and I remember I, I was reading something about the production when they were like, you know, we couldn't actually find a, that a version of that to have for them. So they had to go back and they had to have it printed, you know, like TSR or Wizards of the Coast kind of helped them out. And I'm like, yep. really? They can't find that in print? So I happened to look it up. Uh, good condition, it's worth 800 bucks. Yeah, that's crazy. I, in Cranston, Rhode Island, went to a yard sale and bought a blue box expert set D&D first edition box set. It was beat up. It's not in great condition for $1. There you go, man. Oh you got something. Uh, inside is the expert rules, the basic rules, and uh, Isle of Dread, Isle one of, of like, Dread. the first mass-produced, uh, like, modules. Yep. Oh my god! That's and so then when I found out what it was worth, I felt so bad. I was like, I should go back to that guy's house and be like, "Here's twenty bucks." Like, well, it's a yard sale. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. With my son too, where it's like, if I die, right? You do not let mom throw this stuff out under any circumstances before someone comes in and appraises it all. All right. Yeah. <laughs> do not let mom do it. No. Very, very good point. Because yeah. once books go out of print, like I go pay a lot to try yeah. and find, try and find like older edition games and stuff. Because at this point. My hobby is less D&D &D and more role-playing games. 
um like in general so i go on there all the time and like you're trying to find these deals and you're looking at things just going like oh i'm not spending 80 dollars on that book like not happening mm-hmm. oh man shadows of esther and that's where i am right now i'm so glad i bought those books at gen con because they are out of print most of them and they are hard to get online they're expensive yeah. i have all the pdfs <laughs> I, I i was actually for this uh podcast i went on my google drive and was like how many different game like pdfs do i have in my google drive and i stopped counting after like 60 something I was like, I have too many games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you don't, Brady. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, and it does kind of feel bad, though, because, like, I would love to have, like, them all displayed in, like, a little home library, but they're all just on the internet. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's not as fun. Yeah. It's actually a really good time for old versions because, uh, the, like, the DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG, you can get a lot of things that are out of print, print on demand now, which is, mm-hmm. which is cool, even if you're just getting the PDF or something like ancient yeah. like find a physical copy of like the the content is there <laughs> yeah see I mean, if i can hop in sorry just yeah. uh i run a fifth edition D campaign with my friends we've run through a few of like the official um you know campaigns uh we did storm king's thunder we did uh of annihilation with this group that i play with all the time and i told them before we start the next one i now officially own the books of every D edition like at least like the basic books so i was like you have to do the gauntlet where we're going to make characters, level level one characters in first edition D&D, do like a three to four session mini arc, then move on to second edition. If your character survives, they start at a higher level in second and like just see what happens <laughs> and make them go all the way up to fifth edition until we start our new campaign. Are you skipping fourth? No, I, I don't. I, I see fourth edition's not great. Okay. Like it's not. I've never heard of that. It's not a, look, it's not a good game. But fourth edition. Fourth edition was basically like Diablo's killing us in sales. Let's just make it a pen and paper game. <laughs> so, I have, so I have a joke. So within that superhero game that I'm running, there's a fate called rules, and in fate, every character has like an aspect that just kind of defines them, right? So one of the characters, because the group that plays themselves, they all hang out at a game shop for playing what we know, and uh, the owner of the game shop, his aspect is actually fourth was the worst edition. That's the <laughs> Everything you need to know about this man. Believable NPCs. That's what it's all about, you know? <laughs> so we're talking about all this material that you need to play. So if people were intrigued by what we've been talking about and our description of D&D specifically, I guess we'll talk about because it it's hard to it's hard to cover a like how-to guide for every tabletop because it's mm-hmm. not all the same. But for D&D... Um, what do you recommend to new players for them to get started? Yeah, I'll grab that one. Little reader's advisory for you all. So I always tell people if they're brand new to RPGs and they want to get into something, um, D&D is probably the most approachable just because it's so mainstream and there's so much support for it. So I recommend starting with the 5th edition because it is by far the most user-friendly, new player-friendly edition. Um, it lacks some complexity from some older editions, but it's fine. It's flexible. Uh, it's much easier to learn. So start with D&D 5th edition. Pick up the Lost Minds of Vanilver uh, starter set. That is what you need to start playing this game. Um, everything will be in that set. It's like 12 14 bucks on Amazon. It has a very um, trimmed-down version of the rules, some pre-generated characters. You don't have to worry about character creation at first. And the adventure is its a great adventure, first of all, but it's also designed to sort of teach you the rules as you play. And that's good for... Depending on how fast your, your adventuring party moves, if you're brand new to role-playing, it'll take a little bit longer. Easily good for 20 to 30 hours of play. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah and you'll complete a full story and it's just fantastic it's, that's the way to go it's mine to hand over agree uh totally yeah agree. Yep, the starter set for 5th edition I'll, I'll is great. To, just to go beyond that, pretty much any other larger published role-playing game out there right now has a similar version of the starter set of quick start rules that are either for free or very inexpensive, so you can try the game out before you go in and spend, you know, 40 bucks on the box or something like that. So, you know, you hear us talking about all this stuff that we have, but that's to nerds or that's the only buy you don't need all that stuff, absolutely. Yeah, you can definitely play D and D cheaper. You don't. You don't even need. You don't even need to buy dice. You may have apps, so mm-hmm. it's yeah. you know, literally not a very upfront investment. But buying dice is the most fun part of the hobby. No, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to protect <laughs> people's wallets. Your digital dice keep rolling terribly. What do you do? You put your phone in dice jail? Like what do you do? <laughs> My wife is a dice goblin, as everyone can see. Uh, sorry, podcast oh, listeners. Yeah. I'm holding up a big old bowl of dice that my wife just continually adds to i'm trying to control myself to not become like a full dice goblin i probably have six or seven sets but they all they fit in the bag that i have so i'm like okay you need to stop now because um they all fit in the bag so we need to stop see you couldn't even come up with a good reason you're just like ooh, sparkly math rocks more and more and more there are some moments that are created by physical dice, like the way the dice lands, the dice flying off the table, just that last half roll. I repeatedly do. My old group used to say that the game didn't start till someone's dice fell on the floor, most because our our DM, or actually, I think this was not even a D and D game. This was when I played a Mass Effect RPG that I found for free online. Um, <laughs> so our GM um, would always like you know, roll, and then they'd go off the table. And so we just had this ongoing joke that we're like, oh, game started now. We, we can we can get into it now. Yeah. It's a great way, like a die falling on the floor, you like, you call it before you get it. That's like the, that's like the, <laughs> the known roll. Is it good or are you re-rolling? And then if it's good and you look under the table and it's amazing, can one grown adult be like under a table off the floor? <laughs> <laughs> See, so there's physical comedy as well. Oh, there's... yes. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, at least there was when we could get together in person. So I know a big hindrance on my group's continuing has been a struggling to get things online. So what is advice that you guys have for people who need to move their games online um, to make that happen? I would say uh, first thing is like, don't stress moving your game online can be as complicated or as simple as you want to make it. Uh, You don't have to. Like, you don't have to use a tabletop platform like Roll20. You can use Theater of the Mind and just Zoom and just honor system. People roll your dice, report your numbers faithfully. Like, use your physical character sheets. Um, if that works for you and your group, like, no need to make it more complicated. Uh, if you like maps, you can use Roll20 just for the maps. You don't have to worry about inputting your character, programming things and stuff. You can just throw up a map so people can visualize. You can just use the tokens. You can keep using the honor system and don't worry about the dice rollers. Or you can... S- Start there and then slowly add in as you gain more experience with the platform. Uh, Roll20 is probably the most popular platform because it's free. And for the most part, it works really well. Um, it does have a learning curve, though. I'm not going to lie to you about that. Um, and it is worth buying the adventure packs, in my experience. Like, throw Pony up 30 or 40 bucks. It will save your GM so much time prepping maps and tokens and just hit points and stuff. Like, it's, it's worth every penny to buy the adventure packs for that, so chip in help your dm buy that 
That's actually a great way to say that too, is like um, one group of mine, I, I don't mind putting the work into Roll20. I've put in a lot of time to just like figure out this the thing. But yeah, I agree. Um, there are quite a few tabletop systems like on, on the internet. There's Roll20, uh, there's Foundry Virtual Tabletop, which I think only the DM would need to buy something. But that's a great thing for a group to just pitch in and say, hey, we're going to buy you Foundry and then you can set it all up and get the books in there. And then there's Fantasy Grounds as well, um, which are the options. But all of them have learning curves. So, again, you can just Zoom, roll dice there with your friends, and and keep going. It's it's a great time. I've used the minimalist approach of, like, literally Zoom or release and just roll your dice, and, you know, that's it. I don't have that. I'm use anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might text them a picture of a map, and that's it. So it really depends on the game you're playing and how much right. of that stuff is necessary. Very true. Yeah, like I, if I was trying to run my Starfinder game without Roll Twenty, we would go nowhere because uh, it's just Paizo games are tactical, grid based, everything. Just that's how mm-hmm. it goes. So um, honestly, Roll Twenty for me, I learned more DMing Starfinder in a month than I did D and D for almost a year. <laughs> but it's you know, it's it's what what you're willing to put in. It's just it's good. Um, I know I haven't used it to run a game, but just for some more options for people, especially more free options, I believe it's called the absolutely correct name will be in the show notes because I will look up and make sure, but I believe it's called Astral Tabletop. Yes. Yeah. And so that is free. I disliked it because it seemed comp. It seemed like it had more bells and whistles than I necessarily wanted. And I was looking into it more to tell my DM because I don't DM the group that we're in. So like, I didn't want to be like, here, do this thing that like, we have to learn how the light shows on your maps. And I, like, I'm like, I, but it is an option for people who are super into like, really want to for free make their maps like very immersive and interactive and bring the kind of interactivity that you get at the table like the physical table into the digital sphere and i know we also looked into there is a bot for discord called avaray um, which is tied into D beyond which i have used and i've been using for a while and i love i think it's worth it even if you do play in person with people whenever we can go back to doing that because i was using it on my computer when we played in person um if you hate math D&D Beyond is for you. So for me, it was great. It took the most like tedious and the least fun part for me, which was like making sure that I got all the aspects of my character correct, that I wasn't missing any feats that they get for certain things, any any type of racial bonus or, or class bonus or any type of thing. And it just all does it in one place. And so... I, it's made character creation way more enjoyable for me. So I recommend it. It's free. It's free-ish. It is free to create characters and use the basic rule book with those characters for all the basic races and classes. But if you want to start to get, you know, special classes that aren't in the in the basic player's handbook or special races, um, like I know Volo's Guide for Monster has <laughs> some playable races that they added that's like something that you would have to pay extra for so it's one of those you pay for extra content but at the basic level it's free and you do i think you still do get a lot of utility out of it without paying 
Yeah, and if you if you have the uh, sort of extra content, like you have the physical books, or maybe you have a D and D Beyond subscription, um, you can manually input that into the free Roll Twenty account. You just have to type everything in yourself. I copy and paste into my characters on Roll Twenty from D and D Beyond all the time, which is nice. You can just highlight, copy, paste. There's the ability. It's in my character sheet for Jen. So we always end the show with a segment that I call the last chapter which we take a bookish or library or thematic debate and we talk about it, not to give our definitive opinions on the internet, but just to give our personal opinions. If you, the listener, would like to submit a topic for us to discuss in the last chapter, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. So this week, I thought I would bring back a uh, question that we did when I first started this segment, but with a D and spin. So we did the ebook versus print very early on in this. And so um, I wanted to hear all of your opinions on digital rule books and supplement books versus owning that big fat hardcover and holding it in your hand. Uh, I guess I'll go first. I actually spoke about this a little earlier where I said, I wish I had all these books I PDFs for. Um, but I honestly, it depends. I, I think I might be pretty 50-50 split on this, where um, there's nothing like holding the book in your hand. And like, and like I feel like when I'm learning a system, I need that book in my hand. I want to flip through. I want to look at every picture. I want to see all these things. Um, but I like, I, I honestly love having PDFs of a lot of the books that I use because there's nothing like the search feature. You, you can find, you know, if you're looking up one thing, Boom, it jumps you right to page 274, where, like, all I known, if I grabbed the book, I'd be like, it's in the classes section. Uh, let's give me five minutes, you know, when you can just control F, boom, it's there. It is wicked helpful, especially running games on Roll20 during quarantine. Like, I just have Acrobat open or, you know, my Google Drive open, and I'm just finding everything I need just like that. But there is nothing like owning the book and holding it in your hand. Uh, in the end, I think I'd rather just have the books. Um, if I had to pick. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, you know, if I look at you know, my iPad, which now holds way too many role-playing games uh, on it <laughs> within the memory of uh, the drive-thru RPGs keeps having those deals. You know, I think, I think the point that Randy makes, even when we're playing face again, I think having the stuff right there on your, you know, you just bring an iPad, right, or a laptop or whatever, and, and you have the whole library back there as opposed to having some sort of like 50 pound bag full of all the actual physical copies mm -hmm. of the books, you don't have to worry about them heating up and stuff. So for actually playing at the table, I think I like having them digitally more, but that being said, my mm. heart will always be with me. And I think with, with the books, with the systems I really love, like Dungeons and Dragons or whatever it might be, I always have at least the core rule physically because just, because I just like to look at it and touch it, that sort of stuff. I'm uh, I'm also in a similar camp. Uh, I obviously uh, I got into RPGs during the uh, the heyday of having the 50 pound backpack full of books and the crate of dice, and I think my spine is permanently bent from that. But it is nostalgic to me. I also do think I I learn uh, where things are better if I have a physical thing to reference, like just the, about where something is in a book. Like I'd be like, this is about a third of the way through. I know it's here. It helps my memory to have like a physical motion associated with it. So I do think I'm faster referencing, um, depending on the search features in the digital version. Not all digital versions are made equal. I think I am faster referencing physical books if the search features are not great. Um, I, however, will say that it is wildly impractical to have physical books of all of the RPGs that I know and love. Um, so for that, I am very grateful for the digital copies. Uh, there are also um, 
apps and different search features. Some of them are amazing and they are really fast and they help you get through things that you would otherwise not get through. Um, D&D Beyond is fantastic. Uh, it's especially fantastic if you have somebody that has like a master tier subscription and you can pool all your resources into one and have that at your fingertips at all times, uh, which is one of the great benefits we offer at the Westmore Public Library. Um, we have that fully loaded D&D Beyond account for our players. Uh, I will also say that some RPGs are terribly laid out and organized, like truly awful organization in them. I'm thinking of like Pathfinder 2, like that. I don't what? How can you? I don't know how you read and reference this book. Whoever um, edited that book needs to be fired. Honestly, yeah, but looking at you, what is this? Like, it's such a good system, and it's so hard to navigate that book. Yeah, it, like you'll go to five places looking for like crafting. It's like it, crafting. Craft is a skill. Is it under skills? No. <laughs> like, what? It's under, it's under downtime. But then when you go to downtime and look for crafting, it says refer to, and, and then, then you're like items in the back. Like what? Uh, that, yeah, so navigating something like Pathfinder 2, um, like the Rogue Trader book and some of the Warhammer books are pretty hard to navigate. So the digital versions of that, fantastic, because you can search. Um, Archives of Nethys, mm. thank you for helping Pathfinder 2 be playable. Um, Starfinders, uh, I think that that's on there. And they're also, the digital versions are much cheaper. If you're if you're looking at that pay barrier, like, I don't know if I can get into this, check the PDFs, they're much cheaper. Some systems like Pathfinder, um, have basically everything you need to play is uh, it's all open gaming license, so you can go to the SRD and you can play just off of that. So yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. My I was I grew up on the physical books, and I think I if it's a e most commonly referenced book like a player's handbook or something, it's have a couple physical copies floating at your table. It's just easier for people than pulling out their phone, worrying about if it's charged, worrying if their app crashes, do they have an internet connection? Like just flip to the spell you need. Um, but combination a hybrid is best i would say yeah i would say that uh i think when we originally talked about this i had said that i was print book partially because of book smell but for rule books i i kind of go the other way for the searchability reason and and really have been enjoying the ebooks especially since using dnd beyond anything you buy on your account becomes like integrated and you can use in your character sheets or any other type of builder that's on their site so so they got me and I bought, so I bought the digital copies for them. So it would be all integrated and it was cheaper. So yeah, but maybe someday I will have like, a, like you, Rainy, someday I will have like my bookshelf of RPG books to look upon. Um, if you want that experience, just come to the West Road Public Library and look at our RPG section and you can for a moment have that. <laughs> and then you have to select individual books to check out and then bring them back. <laughs> I was going to say, people who want to look at the physical books, but maybe, you know, that that price point is a barrier for them that the West Fork Public Library and their extensive tabletop RPG collection is a resource for you. And you can request them and they can go to other libraries in the state because our state is awesome and part of a consortium. So just good stuff all around. So thank you all for joining me and thank you everyone for listening. This has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a production of the Cranston Public Library. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. To find out everything your library can do for you, visit our website at cranstonlibrary.org. 
Downtime with Cranston Public Library is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you find your podcasts. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Join us next week for more Downtime. Thank you.